0: Welcome to another episode of North American Deer Talk, where the fusion of facts and opinions become the education and entertainment for all. This is your host, Josh Newton, and we have another great show for you today. Folks and welcome back. This is Josh Newton. It is April twenty fourth. Coming at you from North Central Pennsylvania. Rainy day here. Um, Looks like uh, pretty chilly out too. We've been getting a lot of uh, thirty degree nights, and looks like we're gonna have thirties and forties with some precipitation here for the next few weeks. So, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully prior to these fawns coming and hitting the ground here, we get some a little bit nicer weather. I don't necessarily mind the cold. The uh the fawns that we have, white tail white tail deer, uh, especially they they handle the cold weather just fine. It's the uh, precipitation and the cold temperatures that often lead to a lot of problems. So we want to we want to try to prevent any issues with that. And we'll um we're going to actually cover that in a another episode but today i'd like to talk to you about uh, a company that i manage and that's service solutions and and what service solutions is what it does and uh, kind of how it how it all got going so a really great resource to learn more about uh what we do and 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 kind of how that's set up is to head over to the service com website um uh, it's just service solutions.com um and it's just a really nice uh kind of host resource for a lot of educational material um now the kind of the basis and the the you know impetus of this uh this project and this this company uh was really birthed from uh the deer farm that i managed and that's red ridge whitetails so you know much like many farmers you know you 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 go through good years, you go through bad years, and you learn from those experiences. And we we did we did that uh, just just like everybody else has. Um, and I guess one of the the main challenges we had was with health management. Um, there's not really a, a health management program, if you will, out there. And we didn't. There's there's resources, but they really weren't combined into into one place. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a main part of, of what Servit does. But, um, to get into the, the, the kind of preamble of that, we, we had a year and I, I don't recall what year it was. I want to say maybe, I don't know, two, 2008, maybe something like that. Um, we had a really nice group of, uh, group, group of fawns born that year um, this is this is still in the days where our farm anyway was uh participating heavily into the high end breeder market there was you know multiple multiple straws of semen that were you know purchased in excess of you know five six thousand dollars um or, or or even more uh, per straw and it was just a you know it was a, the, the the business model was different at that time so with all that said we had um we had a bunch of fawns born that year, and uh, we, we were we were bottle feeding every every female on the farm at that time. So I ended up, uh, unbeknownst to me, I I got a bad batch of of milk. We were using uh, goat's milk, and from a new supplier, and I should have had it tested prior, and I just assumed it was good anyway. So we ended up losing seventeen fawns out of twenty two. In about a three or four week period. And so it was just. It, it, it was devastating. Um, and you know. Just emotionally. Physically. Financially. The whole works. Uh, but there was a silver lining to it. And I didn't know it at the time. But you know. I, I, I pulled from the resources that I had. And the people that I knew. And we were doing. we started doing some sampling. And. Um, you know many many times or at least in my experience what what I found that I went through that I that I see other people going through that I think is a mistake especially with with fawn care is um, they describe something that happens with a fawn so oh my fawn has diarrhea okay and they'll be and and again this is mostly I'm just commenting on social media and some of the way till uh, various tail groups um you know someone will give their opinion on something that would work so so the first person says oh i have a, a fawn that has has diarrhea okay there'll be a host of comments with you know multiple remedies of some kind treatments etc and and frankly when you're with, with the limited amount of information that was posed in that original question, oh, my my fawn has diarrhea, what do I do? Um, the responses back, unfortunately, are, are short-sighted. So it's always important to be as detailed as possible when describing a situation like that and asking for help because you're going to get much better and more um, kind of pointed information in return. So for those that choose to comment on that, and it, it might go something like this. One person says, well, I've, I've used Exceed on fawns with diarrhea, and it cleans them right up. And then another person says, you know, I only, I, only do, um, I only do a little bit of fawn paste and some electrolytes, and they clean right up. Another person says, oh, I do uh, Pepto-Bismol. Another person says, oh, "I just put pumpkin in the bottle." So on and so forth. So when when dealing with something like that, you have to you have to ask more questions before you can even give a, a reasonable answer. So if somebody asks me, "Hey, my fawn has diarrhea. What do I do?" My questions go like this: Well, how how old is this fawn? Is it, is it under 10 days old? What are the past medical conditions that it may have had? Has it been treated with anything? What do you currently have on hand that you can use for treatment or support, etc.? Have you collected a fecal? What are you feeding? Are there other animals that are experiencing these same symptoms that this one is. What does the fecal material actually look like? Is it slimy? Is it pasty? Is it green? Does it smell? Does it smell of death? Does it smell kind of neutral? So there's 10 10 different questions that I, I need answered to prior to even remotely getting to the right place. And really, the most important one is that fecal diagnostic test. So, here's some things that I kind of walk through um, with with handling that. And I don't want to get too far down this road, but I, I've 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 already stepped in it now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go after it. Um, when you when you are Looking at doing treatments for fawns with loose stool, you know determining if there's a bacteria present is really important. Determining what bacteria that is is even more important. So when you look at let's just say E. coli for instance, you know there's a, a ton of different strands of E. coli. Some are benign and some aren't. Um, but without a without a confirmation of the fact that there is E. coli there, and then a, a, a MIC test, an MIC test, and a antibody, if antibody, antibiotic susceptibility test, you're not going to know which antibiotics will work to treat that. So what does that mean? So it means that when they take and they they find out that there is E. coli. Basically, they'll take that E. coli, they'll put it in a dish. And they'll do that with 15 different dishes. And then they'll take a little bit of every one of those antibiotics, pop it in the dish, and see how it affects that E. coli. Does it kill the E. coli? Does the E. coli stay the same as far as vi- as it's as it. Vi- as its growth rate, um, is, it, is it multiplying? And you have to look at those things and say, there are certain antibiotics that are going to treat certain strains, in this case, of E. coli, better than others. So the folks originally who were recommending things like exceed or penicillin or whatever, they may be right that particular strain of bacteria may be susceptible to Xseed or Septioflur. But it may not. And by giving it shots of Xseed, it's simply like injecting sterile water into them. Maybe not to that degree, but it's not going to work. Now, the number one killer in fawns is dehydration. Period. Now, dehydration from something, yes, but dehydration. So, our our primary goal when, when dealing with that is um, keep the animals hydrated. So, anyway... The importance of, of diagnostics. I got off on a tangent. I will. I'm going to circle back. So the importance of diagnostics. So during this um, during this episode of of having these fawns um, ultimately die, I had been doing much as I said that you should not do, and taking advice from others that I had more experience with, and you know I ended up not not finding a a perfect solution during that time but the one thing that I did start doing right um later in the process of of those 3 weeks later in that that time frame was that I was I was doing um I was doing diagnostic work so I was finding out that these animals had uh different bacteria most mostly E coli and then we were doing antibiotic susceptibility tests. Now, the thing about the antibiotic susceptibility test is it takes time. The diagnosis of E. coli is is very fast, um, typically within 24 hours. The beauty of, if you want to call it a beauty, the beauty of E. coli is that its, its growth rate, the way it multiplies, is so fast and so efficient that when they get those, when they get those samples, typically fecal samples, um, and they get them in the lab, and they try to start growing them, they grow very fast, and then they can identify them. Uh, we're really fortunate here in Pennsylvania to have the what um, they call it, the Paddles Lab or the Penn State Animal Diagnostic Laboratory System. Um, Penn State has had a a cattle program. I don't know, 50, 60 years. And, um, they've had their deer program. One of the, I think last three remaining ones in the, in the country for about the same amount of time, but more seriously in the past, you know, 30 or 40 years. And so, you know, I, I have the resources available to me when I go in there to chat with their pathologists and, um, some of the veterinarians that are, are working on these cases and, and pick their brain a little bit. And I asked them, you know, really specific questions. So that, that's what I did. Um, you know, I physically went to the lab cause it's, you know, an hour and 20 minutes from me and, and started having those conversations and, and kind of educating myself on the process that happened in the lab. Um, and then, you know, with, in conjunction with my veterinarian here on the farm. Uh, shout out dr weiss she's she's an amazing vet if you if you ever need someone to to do some work on your farm from a, a animal health diagnostic standpoint um, or in the the reproductive field which is her specialty area of uh, semen collections embryos ai et cetera give dr Weiss a call um, but I, I was able to to kind of pool those resources and really um, dial in on this, this particular problem that I was having and long term I was able to save those diagnostic materials that had a lot of value to me and my farm. Now it's, it's important that each of us look at our farms in a, in a way that even though we know an animal is going to die um, at some time or an animal is going to get sick That there are resources out there to take advantage of the knowledge that's gained from that. So doing diagnostic work on animals that die or get sick is crucial to the success of your farm. I've learned so much from those animals that die that I wouldn't have known if they had lived. So, as manager of Red Ridge Whitetails, I s- started compiling these different diagnostic forms and and ultimately getting the, uh, the samples that I was submitting to the lab. Uh, the lab would save them into a, a stable form, which they call an isolate. And I would save those. And started having some conversations with um, Dr. Weiss and she suggested that we make what's called an autogenous vaccine. So I didn't, I didn't know what that was. Um, And, and it's, it's a means of manufacturing a vaccine outside of a a commercial entity. So, you know, those, those uh, vaccines that are made by, you know, Pfizer and, Boehringer Ingelheim and, you know, pick, pick a different Merck, et cetera. Um, those are all commercialized vaccines. So they've, they've gone through FDA approval, etc. etc. Well, in, in, in many cases, the uh, production of vaccine that's uh, specific to um, a farm is done through a process called autogenous vaccine work. And these, these isolates are the basis of that so these isolates are submitted to the lab and then the lab grows them puts them into a stable form onto one of their um for a back of a lack of a better term like chains or um if you could imagine in a in a a petri dish you know a uh, invisible honeycomb on a really like cellular level. And they, they're able to attach these isolates to this, um, and then create a vaccine from that. Well, so I went through this process and, you know, of course there's, you know, there's, there's other issues that we had found, uh, with animals. We were, we were bringing a lot of animals in the farm at that time. We were bringing a lot of animals out of the farm and we, we lacked, um, you know really consistent biosecurity measures that we needed so um in in all in all animal industries um you know each farm has its own set of challenges with different um bacteria etc that it faces uh you know in 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 let's say different geographical areas or in different herds etc and because we had animals that coming in that we didn't put into a, you know, a quarantine pen, and we didn't have a vaccine program, uh, etc., it was it was um, a challenge to 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 manage that herd. So after building up a nice little stockpile of these these isolates, we decided that it was time to, to put them to use and to try to construct a vaccine. So we made our we made our first vaccine and because of timing, I ended up getting it uh, fairly late. I, I, I had to run I don't remember I think we had two ah, we had a couple of pens of doughs, but I ran two different two different groups. I ran one on May 5th. And I ran the other on May seventh. And what that um what that did was um I got that, you know, that first first shot into them and or excuse me, that was the second shot. The first ones were, were from from just weeks prior. But I didn't have any issues with, you know, any dose aborting, didn't have any issues handling them. Uh, we certainly had a you know a nice facility to work with, a good group of does, etc. Um, but I didn't have a choice because I wasn't going to go through what I did the previous year. So in doing that, what I found was I didn't have near the death rate in those fawns as the prior year. But I still had some sickness. Now, I'm not sure you know there were some other factors that i i wasn't that i hadn't implemented at that time it was just everything was normal i added a vaccine so i stopped the death loss almost entirely on those fawns but i still had a large group of fawns that were were getting sick but when i treated them they got better so that was a that was a win in my book i started saying to myself what what kinds of other things do i need to look at from a management perspective that can affect Uh, these fawns and you know one of the key ones was was population density so i started removing some animals uh from pens you know instead of running 10 12 does on an acre you know you get down to eight or seven and then i even i even further refined that kind of recommendation into where we are today and that's four to six adults per acre and i prefer to be on the lower end uh and that's that's worked wonders. Um, that I, I think, I think if you could, if you could pick anything to do on a farm, it would be to keep your animal numbers low. I think that's the absolute best thing for deer. So, um, you know, I went through that first, that first spring and, um, you know, had again had like almost no death loss. Still had some some uh, morbidity or sickness in these animals, but I was able to treat them, and I had a whole pile of fawns make it to weaning. Um. So, just in chatting with, with some of my uh, my friends, etc. You know, they, you know, of course you talk to you all the time you, how, how are things going at, you know, how do you make out with fawns? Cause you know, everybody always wants to know how you, how you did with your stuff, how the bucks grow, et cetera. And I, um, I said to them, um, really good. You know, we had a, a great, a great year. Uh, we started using this, this vaccine and it's something we came up with and so on and so forth. And of course, you know, the first couple guys are like, well, can I get some? Okay. Yeah. Yep. I'll I'll just order up a couple extra bottles when I get mine and, and, uh, we'll make sure all, you know, the paperwork is all in order and that's a whole separate topic. But anyway, so, um, they, in some capacity, whatever that was on their farm, they felt that, that, that vaccine had helped and added a lot of value to their, (coughs) to their operations. So they started using it. Well, it, it didn't take long, and, you know, there was there was many, many farms that were interested in this, this vaccine. So we started um, trying to develop the vaccine further, doing more diagnostics, working with additional farms, et cetera. And those have birthed into the two products that we have today, which is the NuVac2 and the EcoVac. The NuVac2 is primarily focused on bacteria associated with pneumonia, foot rot or lumpy jaw, slash abscesses. And the E. coli is more specifically focused on um, the digestive system, which is going to have uh, isolates in it from multiple E. coli strands and a clostridia type A. So these are really the basis vaccines for a vaccination program that we put forward. The nice thing is, is they cover, number one, they're all cervid specific. So they're all made for deer. And they're really tailored in a way that there is not a commercial product that mirrors them in the least bit. I know because I've looked and I've tried what I could. If you if you flip over if you flip over the bottle on on nearly every commercial product that I've seen and you say, okay, let's let's look at these different bacteria that there's coverage in there. For the most part, again, this is just my experience. For the most part, ninety-some percent of the deer farms in the country probably have never had a single one of those bacteria affect them. And that doesn't mean they can't. That's certainly a possibility. They just haven't. So, what's in the what's in the NuVac product? Well, the NuVac the NuVac product is um, started based pretty much primarily off of Fusobacterium necrophorum. Uh, many, many people call it Fuso. It's it's typically the bacteria that we find in animals that uh, have foot rot or end up with abscesses that you'll see more or less in, in more in your, in your young stock, your fawns than in your older animals. But those abscesses, they get on the side of their face, but this bacteria can grow, um, can grow anywhere uh and then it also has uh truperella pyogenes which uh, used to be called arcano bacterium pyogenes and that just really is a um is a uh, a pus a pus forming so pyogenes means pus um a pus forming bacteria and it's found in conjunction with fusobacterium a lot and then there's Biebersteinia triolosi pastorella multocida, and there's also multiple mycoplasma strains um, all of those bacteria that I just mentioned have been cultured out of the lungs so there's deer across the country they've found all of those in the lungs so when someone says fuso I found so much fusobacterium in lung tissue before uh, with with no signs of of it on the outside. But showing signs on the outside is not always indicative that it's on the inside. However, the lung is an excellent place or upper respiratory. When I say lung, upper respiratory or, or, or upper, uh, uh, bronchial pneumonia is the, I think the clinical clinical term for it, but it's, it's found in that upper respiratory system and, um, it's just, it's, it's bad stuff. So, that's the, the NuvaC too. Now the NUVAC, the original NuvaC, used to have some E. coli in it. And we 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 got to the point where we we're we we're more comfortable with separating those two apart. So there's there's multiple in the in the EcoVac now, there's multiple E. coli strands. I think there's four or five uh, that we've identified through Uh, more or less a a process it's more anecdotal than scientific as with most things in the deer world but um, we we found it to be a, a pretty solid process and what we did is we as we went through our fawns the animals that um, you know, had loose stool, we'd evaluate their symptoms and then basically rate those animals on on how bad we thought they had E. coli. And there was obviously other circumstances that surrounded that. So if they were, you know, malnourished when we found them or, or undersized or something, that would be discounted from that, that main group set if they got E. coli. But the fawns that were strong and healthy, or at least what we deemed uh, meeting that criteria we'd evaluate that that um, bacteria if they did get it so we just picked out the nastiest strains of e. coli that we could find uh, and that's how we got that and then of course there's the Clostridia type A um, there's not a there's not something similar to like a CD uh, and T or a covex vaccine that, that mimics the, the type A and, uh, it's certainly a killer. So that's why that's in there. So those are, again, those are the, the two, the two base vaccines that we have. Um, so from there we started, we started really focusing on, on like the education and trying to add value to all of you and in, in what we do. So coming up with um, vaccine schedules and, um, you know, different, different articles, you know, we try to do articles on a, a fairly regular basis. Um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm, on the website, just kind of breezing around. Um, there's a, a nice article on, on, it's called achieving immunity and it, it runs through how to be successful in a vaccination program, um, describing some of the the process in which what happens in the body um, during, you know, during the vaccine. So I, I give you a, a quick little snippet from, from this article. It's important to remember that fawns, when born, have no immune system in place. This happens over time and is a learned process. Learned is in quotes. The process happens when animals are exposed to pathogens within the environment. Thus, antibodies are created and then stored, in quotes, in the body for a later time. This process of immunity is done in two ways. There are two forms of immunity, active and passive. With active immunity, the body produces antibodies in response to an infection or vaccination. When following a vaccination protocol of administration to pregnant dose... We are actively causing antibodies to be produced. Passive immunity occurs when antibodies are acquired from colostrum, the first milk, or antitoxins. Antitoxins are antibodies that bind to the toxin itself, not the bacterium producing it, and either cause its rapid removal or block its activity site. So, something like that, you know. I think has a lot of value, at least for, for me, you know, doing, doing the research on it and then, um, you know, understanding that process I think has a lot of value. So we also have, um, we've structured service solutions around uh, a membership program and the membership program comes out to about 12 bucks a month. And, um, it's based on a, a yearly yearly charge of, of $60. And within that private membership area, or that dashboard, um, you have access to some herd management software, which is really geared towards um, keeping track of. Your animals from a, a treatment standpoint. So, if you're administering vaccines, antibiotics, um, immobilization agents, etc., it will keep track of those things for you, uh, and then give you some reporting options to deliver those back to your vet for for audits, etc. It also has a pretty Nice list of, of articles within there that aren't publicly released, and then there's a few videos uh, that we've we've produced um, on handling facilities or our water system, um, some hoof repair things things of that nature, and you know we continue to try to add to those as well. So I think that um, I think that kind of covers the the basics of of what um, what Servant Solutions is, um, and kind of how it, how it came to be a little bit today. Um, always, you know, looking for, uh, suggestions on, on things that you guys would like to hear on this podcast. You know, I, I, um, sometimes I I get on here and I do a bunch of show prep and, and kind of go through, uh, go through these things. And then uh, other times like today, um, I was just like, ah, I want to talk about service solutions. And I, I, I got on and I, you know, I, I just went through the website and kind of wanted to give you a little history about it, but I was, I was willing, So I didn't have really show notes and this wasn't super, super well thought out, but hopefully it added some value. But I, I would, I would encourage, um, each one of you to, uh, take a take a peek through the Service Solutions website. We we continue to try to add uh, value to the industry and be a, a resource for you to look at. And again, if there's anything that I can uh, do on the show here or add onto the site that that you would feel would be uh, of, of great service or value to you, uh, please let me know. So with that, we're going to wrap up. I uh, as always, I, I greatly appreciate. Uh, each and every one of you taking the time to listen. Uh, feel free to to subscribe. On uh, we have a couple different platforms there. You can you can uh, subscribe on iTunes. That's probably the easiest one. You can also go to blueberry.com which is a podcast provider, and uh, subscribe through there. Um, you know, and if you get a chance, uh, you know, and you want to share share a show out to to someone, you know, it'd be great to give us a shout out on social media. Or, or, or tell a friend about it or something like that. We're trying to grow the community a little bit and, um, any, any help that you all can, can provide us would be, uh, would be really great. So with that, we'll, we'll wrap up. And as as always stay tuned for another episode of North American deer talk.